We're in Galatians right now, and if you guys have been following along, we're in chapter 5. If you've missed any of them, we do have them all on the website, on iTunes, and feel free to check those out. It's been a really great series so far, just God is revealing so much, and the passage that we're about to read and go through is a pretty difficult passage. It's short and uh, very full of very difficult things to handle. So we're in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. If you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Good morning. You might be thinking, isn't it Advent season? Why are we looking at this passage? I sense that it was just appropriate because Galatians is about freedom. And that's why Christ was born, set us free. So if you want to take a look at this subject matter of freedom, this is the book to look at. And so decided to stick with it and then let Pastor Bernard talk about Christmas stuff next week. I'm going to be with the children in the children's ministry. Let me pray. God, thanks for Helen's testimony. And I do pray for her that you would continue to minister to her and help her to see how wonderful you are and how much you love her, just as you love us. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see how you've indeed not only loved us, but have set us free, that your love was shown through your life as well as through your death. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm hoping that this study of Galatians is giving you more than just an understanding and more than just a knowledge about freedom, that this is actually transformative in how you are living, that we can gain freedom in those things that are kind of holding us back, whether it be a guilty conscience or overwhelming burdens or debilitating fear, which can be negatively compounded actually by the church and religiosity and legalism and all those types of things. And I think many of us come from backgrounds where the church has been actually a negative impact in terms of our understanding of God when it should actually be a place where It is being an advocate towards supporting our relationship with God. And, you know, I don't necessarily fault those churches in terms of their intentions, because I think their intentions are good. I don't think they set out their purpose to make you far from God or drive you away from God. But a lot of those times, in order for churches to kind of lead you that way, they have to substitute Jesus with a legalism or religiosity instead of the gospel for a behavioral control or morality control and things like that. And so here in verse 13, Paul reminded the Galatian churches of their freedom in Jesus. Not necessarily freedom in religion or freedom in the church, but freedom in Jesus. And in verse 1 he wrote, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And so that's his first opening there in verse 1. And then God's plan all along was that we would be free. And so in our text this morning, look at verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. See, God intended freedom for us all along. We were called to freedom. Before we even knew of the concept of freedom, God had already designed for us to live free. It wasn't an idea that people came up with. God calls us to himself. God is the author of freedom. And we're not called to religious rules and laws. 
So be careful when a church or religious folks tell you that you have to do something. Because we weren't called into enslavement to do. You were called to freedom. And this is something for us to be aware of when we share the gospel in your evangelism. What kind of gospel are you presenting? How many of you are sharing the gospel, really? I mean, the vast majority are probably not. And I'm asking that you would stretch yourself and that you would take that step, that you would kind of just have the courage to try it. And when you do, please share the full gospel. Share the full gospel. Because there's this misconception about what Christianity is. That it's a worldview that is really limited and uptight and restricted. And that Christianity is actually an enslavement. It's not about freedom. It's bondage set to religious rules and laws and morality and beliefs. And perhaps the church, well, for sure the church, has done a poor job of presenting the gospel at times because people have the idea that Christianity is more about the things that we cannot do. That we can't do certain things. And we, the church, sometimes present the gospel inaccurately by sharing a gospel of bondage when it is actually a gospel of freedom. See, Christian slavery is an oxymoron. Right? It's like uh, Microsoft Works. You know, something like that. So... I'm actually really upset at Apple products right now because Apple OS is not really an oxymoron. It's just, it should just be renamed Apple BS or something. But I'm so unhappy with that operating system. But I'm, I digress. I digress. Let's, let's start over. We have to present Christian freedom. Right? It's the good news. It's freedom. So, and that's what we're supposed to share. So the way out of the shackles, the way out of the cuffs, the way out of bondage, the way out of slavery, Jesus set you free from that. Share that. You don't have to get all complicated about anything else. Just share your freedom. Share that. And present the gospel as freedom from sin, not bondage to rules or morality. For freedom Christ has set us free. It wasn't to move you from one form of enslavement to another form of enslavement of religious laws. It wasn't to move you from sin to laws and rules and things. We were called to be free. Now look at the latter part of verse 13 here. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Paul's a brilliant guy. Paul recognized that this call to freedom would be misinterpreted by those who would swing too far with their freedom. Right? Paul taught freedom in Christ from the Judaizers, from their religious laws, but he also recognized that some would take that freedom too far and they would abuse it by indulging in their freedom. And so it's crucial that we recognize what we have been freed from because I think that will help us see how far we can swing. See, we've been freed from sin. We've been freed from living in the flesh, debilitating fear, guilty consciences, overwhelming burdens, religious legalism. But see, there's this line that we can cross into bondage when we enter into indulgence and living in the flesh and going too far. And it's just as bad. Just as bad as one side of the pendulum is religious legalism. Right, So we swing too far and it's anything goes, and then you swing too far this way and it's religious legalism. Just a list of do's and a list of don'ts and additions of things to your faith in Jesus and the things that he did on the cross. Then there's this other side, anything goes. And so you have these 
two extremes where, where freedom is defined over on this side by doing whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, and, and wherever you want, which just leads you back to bondage. Paul, through the Holy Spirit, was gifted with wisdom to prophetically address this issue of freedom. Because he knew, I'm talking about freedom, people are going to go way out there. And so we need to understand something about freedom. Freedom has boundaries. Freedom has limits. And there's a misconception that freedom equals no boundaries. That it's limitless. I, I could do whatever I want. And that is false. That is not freedom. That is chaos. Verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. And look at this word. Only. Only. Why do I point that word out? Because only is a boundary word. Because it's only this. It's not only. It's only this. It's a limitation word. It points to boundaries. It points to limits. Only. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So those Judaizers, like legalistic Christians today, they were instructing people to do certain religious things in order that they could be saved. That in order for you to be saved, yeah, you have faith in Jesus, but you have to be circumcised. And so they diluted the true gospel that faith in Jesus and trusting God's promise that Jesus' death on the cross was enough for the salvation of sin. They added to the true gospel these religious works. Their religious work was particularly circumcision. And nowadays, I don't know what it is. People can add whatever they want. You can't drink or you can't smoke or you can't do all this stuff. And they add these things. And whenever people add to Jesus in regards to salvation, they're attempting to replace him with something. And so this really ticked Paul off. It ticked Paul off so much that in verse 12 he wrote this, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Hey, those guys telling you guys to get circumcised, tell them to get castrated. Tell them to become eunuchs. He's like so mad. But Paul isn't saying that freedom doesn't have limits. He's not saying freedom doesn't have boundaries. Right? Christian freedom is being free from the notion and the actions that you need to earn your way to God. You're free from that. But it does not allow you to use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. It's not a license for us to indulge our flesh. So what is the definition of flesh, or what is flesh in reference to? Our fallen nature. The earthly human nature, apart from divine influence that is prone to sin, that is in opposition to God, that is the flesh. See, when a person is transformed, when they are converted into a Christ follower, that person is no longer ruled by sin. But just because a person is no longer ruled by sin doesn't mean that that sin nature has gone away. Has it? Anybody? Because I want to know your secret. Right? So the sin nature has not gone away. Yes, we are justified before God through Jesus, but the sin is still there. Right? Because sin remains, we have the potential to sin. We have the potential to displease God. Our freedom in Christ is not a platform for us to fulfill the desires of the flesh. So, how are we to live with freedom? Because it seems kind of tricky. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. 
Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. See, without Christ, you are enslaved to sin. There is no freedom. With Christ, we have freedom and we have the potential for good, but there's the risk of evil. There's a risk for evil, which I think is why churches and religious authorities, including parents, and I'm preaching to myself here because I'm having children that are growing up, and pastors and ministry leaders and well-intentioned friends and relatives and things, they hesitate to proclaim true freedom in Jesus. One, they don't really understand it. And two is this. Because what if freedom in Christ leads to living in the flesh? Ah, because the sin nature still remains. So what if we do too much of this freedom stuff and people go cuckoo? Well, then let's prevent that. Let's not do that. And so a lot of well-intentioned Christians actually become obstacles in the process of sanctification for others because they are acting out of their flesh to try to prevent something. And they put up these religious roadblocks to say, don't do this, don't do this, do this. And, and they start putting all this stuff. And rather than living in freedom, as God intended, we added to Jesus. And so we add to Jesus these religious laws to live by when faith in Jesus is actually the higher call. It is the highest call. But we put these moral behaviors and we put these moral modifications and things before Jesus. And so we add to him. We lock ourselves up with this good intention to prevent us from sin. And while it can prevent sinful action, something it's not so good at doing is changing the sinful heart. I'm not that good at that. See, God desires to transform, to conform us into the image of Christ, to live as people who are free, not using our freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. The freedom that you have in Jesus, it has boundaries. It has limits. It's not a free-for-all. And we have the freedom to exercise restraint to be used by the holy spirit and our lives are not dictated by the flesh anymore we can say no to the flesh but there are two extremes right an extreme of freedom where anything goes but keep in mind that our freedom in christ is a freedom from sin it is not a freedom to sin and so that freedom leads to that it's a freedom from sin. It's not a freedom to sin. And the other extreme is where religious legalism, it takes hold and we have a bunch of do's and don'ts where we have these religious rule books and laws that we have to live by. And they're just so burdensome. And they're so not fun. But Jesus died on the cross to save us from the judgment of the law. So, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to go back to the law that he saved us from. Right? It doesn't make any sense. That's too far also. And this other extreme where religious legalism takes hold and we have all these bunches of do's and don'ts, I think this is where a lot of us have baggage from the church. And not just the church, but maybe our parents. And maybe other religious folks in our life that just have prescribed to us all these behavior modification things. Do you want to fulfill the law? Probably not. It's really hard to do and it's really thick. God makes it really simple. 
really simple. It's not a bunch of commandments to follow. It's all encapsulated in one word, actually. Love. Love. Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. The one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling of the law. Because this you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. There are boundaries to our freedom in Christ. Living in the Spirit in accordance to His Word with love. In Christian freedom, we are free to love others. Have you thought about this? That you can actually break free from yourself. You can break free from being self-absorbed and selfish, and we can actually love others because we are free. See, freedom is not about self-serving. That's a bondage to your flesh. Human nature is enslaved towards self-preservation. That's what it is. And what breaks that slavery is the freedom in Christ. Christ, who is love incarnate where we are set free to love others than ourselves. So when you look at these laws like do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, and all those things, those are all things rooted in the flesh, rooted in ourself. And when we are in Christ, we are set free from the flesh. We are set free from the self. If you define freedom as doing as you please, then adultery, murder, theft, covetousness, those are things that have actually enslaved you. But if your definition of freedom is rooted in Jesus with godly boundaries and love, adultery, murder, theft, covetousness, those are clearly defined as evil. God's commandments and the laws, those are good. Right? No one's denying that. It's good not to kill someone. For most people, I guess. But the laws in themselves, they don't change the heart. Don't steal. Okay. But I really want to. Don't covet. All right. But your car's awesome. I really want it. It doesn't change the heart. And so even though these are good behaviors and they're good actions to live by, they don't address the proactive nature of love which is what freedom in Christ does. It gives us the capacity to love beyond our ability. It gives us the capacity to love an enemy. It frees us from hatred, bitterness, resentment. It opens us up for forgiveness and to love those who have done unforgivable things, unloving things. It opens us up to serve one another. Continuing on here in verse 13. But through love, serve one another. Now, there's an argument that love 
is a two-way street. I don't think so. Love can be one way, right? Some of you parents totally understand this. You love your kid to death, but in return, not so much, right? Not mine, though. I mean, we're so lovey-dovey. Because they're all under seven. Once they're teenagers, I think it might be a little different. And I've always told them, no matter what you do, dad's going to love you. You in return, I don't know. Right? So love isn't always a one-way street because God loves everyone, but not everyone loves God. Right? And so people don't always reciprocate love. But a true loving relationship, a loving relationship, that's mutual. Right? When two people love each other in the relationship and within a loving relationship, one party puts the other party first. That's how loving relationships work. And when they don't do that, then you have conflict. Marriage, when the other spouse doesn't put the other spouse first, conflict. I'll be seeing you soon. Right? I'll be seeing you. Or with your children, if you don't put your children first before yourself, conflict. And in freedom, we can do this mutual loving relationship thing. We aren't enslaved to self-preservation. Jesus proved his love for us with his life and with his death. And if we are in a loving relationship with him, how is that love we express to Jesus manifested? John chapter 14, verses 23 and 24. Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Our freedom in Christ has boundaries with Jesus, and it has this outwardly focused love. Right? Verse 13, but through love serve one another. Freedom in Christ happens in community. You cannot do it yourself. Because if you can, then it would have said, but through love serve yourself. But it says, but through love serve one another. It's a given that it's in community. You can't serve one another if there is no other. Right? So there's others. And so when we worship in community... When we do anything in community as a church, we have to look at it through the lens that we must serve one another through love. And so worship, for example. You are free to worship here. Right? You, you can stand, you can sit, you can kneel, you can have all these different things going on with yourself. There's freedom in how you want to exercise your freedom to worship. But you have to keep in mind the difference of freedom in worship and the freedom in Christ we have to serve one another through love. We have to keep that lens there. Right? Because, for example, not everyone wants to listen to extra musicians. So there are times, sometimes in a worship service, where people will come in and they'll bring in their other instruments. Right? And they'll go along with the worship band. And they'll play their tambourine or their drum or whatever else in the back there. That's not cool. I mean, that's a distracting thing. Right? That is not through love serving one another. This group here is serving the church. When you're doing that, it is between you and God. Right? You are worshiping and you're free to worship and you're taking that, but it's kind of a selfish thing because you're not keeping in mind everyone else around you. 
that maybe not everyone else around you wants to hear the little egg shaker or the tambourine or whatever else you bring, the kazoo or whatever, the accordion, I don't know. So if you have other instruments going on, stop. Or if your voice is just distracting. Or if there are children who are disruptive to the worshiping community. The question to ask is, are you serving one another through love? Because if you're not, it's just between you and God, and it's just selfish. It's selfish. It's, it's not serving one another. And so, if it is not serving one another through love, if it's not, exercise wisdom. Exercise discernment to put that instrument away. To not sing as loud to pull others away from worship, to quiet down those disruptive children. And so your freedom to worship also has boundaries. It's not a free-for-all. It's not all the way over here. But it's not all the way over here either. Right? And so how do we kind of balance this stuff out? Your freedom to worship has boundaries when serving one another through love. That's the huge gray area. Is it serving one another through love? Or maybe another subject matter, when we're looking at giving, giving of tithes and offerings and things like that, see, there's a mutual love between you and the church community. And to serve one another through love in giving, right? So that someone can pay for this nice heat or the rental of the facility or staff that is serving you guys. Things like that. That stuff is, is serving one another through love. And you can look at this through almost anything. Fellowship, prayer, communion, service, serving one another in the church through love. Your service to one another through love is so needed at this church. We are always in need of people serving in the church. And we need you. And we need this church to love one another, for us to chip in on different things and to serve one another Loving one another in worship, in giving, in serving. So you don't have to do anything for your salvation. I'm not saying that that stuff equates to salvation, because you're free. You don't have to serve. You don't have to give in order to be saved. You don't have to do any of that stuff. You're free. You don't have to do anything. But don't misunderstand me. Your freedom has boundaries, and you are free to serve one another through love. You're free to serve. Right? What, what does it mean to serve one another through love? Does it mean that the same people serve week after week? Does it mean that you come to worship only when you feel like it, when it's convenient? That you only give to the community when you want to? See, our Christian freedom doesn't justify us to be selfish, to be unloving. And when we act that way, it's just being inconsiderate, discourteous, impolite, and it's just bad manners. See, freedom has boundaries. It's not a free-for-all. And freedom through love serves one another. It serves one another. How we worship, how we give, how we serve, it is all in the context of freedom in Christ. It's not about being selfish, and it's not about being self-absorbed. It sets us free from ourselves. See, freedom has a part in fulfilling the whole law, the entire law, that God's law is a guideline for Christian living. Verse 14, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Doesn't that sound familiar? That's Romans 13. 
All the religious laws in the Bible summed up in one phrase, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Your relationship with God can't be earned. And no matter how obedient you are to it and how pious you are in following religious laws in the Bible, it does not make you any more righteous than the one who doesn't follow any of them. What makes you righteous is your faith in God's promise. It's not anything you did. That through Jesus who died for you, he bared the penalty of death on the cross for you because we couldn't keep the full law. And we can't earn acceptance into the kingdom of God by keeping the law. But once we have been accepted by God, keeping the law is a manifestation of the love in our hearts for the creator of that law. We keep the law not as religious legalism, but as an expression of love to the lawgiver. The law directs us to Jesus for salvation, and Jesus directs us to the law, not that the law is what is credited for gaining us acceptance to God, but that it becomes the guideline for our Christian living. Let me give you an example of this in the Old Testament. Notice that the law given to Moses was given to the Israelites after being set free from Egypt. You ever notice that? The law was given to them after they were set free from Egypt. Living by the law was not what set them free from slavery in Egypt. Right? The law was given after they were set free. And it was their guide on how to live their lives after they were set free. And the same goes for us. The law is not what sets us free. The law, after we have been set free from sin through faith in Jesus, becomes our boundary on how to live in freedom according to the Word of God. Take a look at Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for our sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There's this pretty cool Old Testament picture of what this looks like, and it's in Exodus chapter 21, starting in verse 2. Hopefully this illustration makes this a lot more clear. When you buy a Hebrew slave... He shall serve you six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. So this is known as the year of Jubilee, that seventh year, forgiven of debts. If he comes in single, he shall go out single. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife, and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall be his slave forever. And you're like, how in the world does that pertain to this? Get here, here. This was the ceremony that was done in the presence of witnesses. And this is serious stuff. Because... This servant who worked for his boss for six years, and in the seventh year, he's done. He's, there's no obligations. He's free. But if that servant just really loved being a part of that household, because that boss just really loved him, 
right? He blessed him. He gave him a wife. He gave him a family. He gave him all these things. He was just merely a servant. He couldn't afford to do any of that stuff. But his master blessed him with all that stuff. And if he wanted to be there the rest of his life, then let's show the world. Let's show everybody how well you have treated me. So they're going to have a party, and they're going to do this piercing to prove it. And so it was this testimony to the world that this servant loves his boss and the family that he was blessed with. And for the rest of that servant's life, his freedom was within the boundaries and the guidelines of his master's home. He couldn't just do whatever he wanted. He was in his master's home. And it's not because that's how the servant earned acceptance into the home. right? But it's because he already had been accepted into his master's home. So you see, piercings are biblical. Go ahead. Go for it. Piercings are biblical. I'm kidding. That's not the justification for piercings. But you're free to do that. But we don't have the same expression today, right? We don't do this today. Even though I, I think it's pretty cool. It's really hardcore, but I think it's cool. But it's the same posture. That hasn't changed. The attitude, the posture, the heart towards our master has not changed. You don't get your on the door or doorpost anymore. But it's all the same. The heart's the same. Right? I don't look at it as a bondage to be a Christian. Right? Oh man, I have to live like that? And I can't do that? And I need to do this? And It's not like that at all. It's a joy. I love being in my master's house. His boundaries are cool. Fine with me. I'm not going to mess up myself going too far this way or going too far that way. I'm good right here. And in my master's house... He says, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet. Sounds good to me. Because if I'm coveting someone, what if someone's coveting my stuff? I want to treat you just as I want to be treated. I don't want you to kill me. So I guess I won't kill you. right? I don't want you to sleep with my wife, so I won't sleep with yours. So that's good. We're good. We're treating each other the way we want to be treated. And so that's how I'll live. Why? Is it because it gives you access to your master's house? No, that's not why. He gave me access already. I was there already. I was free to go. Seventh year, I was there already. But it's because I like living here. I like living here. Jesus gave me access to the house. It's not because of what I did. I just want to live according to what my master said because I love him. I want to serve him. I don't live according to his word out of obligation, but it's out of adoration. Right? He gave me everything I have. He gave me my wife. He gave me my kids. So it's not his laws that drew me to be with him. It's how much he loves me. He took me into his home when I was just a complete stranger. And he treated me as his own. So yeah, if that was the way to do it, then sure. Where's the doorpost? Let's do this. It's going to hurt like heck but my future is great, and I'm there. And freedom as a Christian does not mean that we disregard the law. The law, the morals in it, guides our lives for Christian living. It is not what saves us, but how we live by it after salvation is an indicator of the love in our hearts for the creator of the law. Now, what did Jesus say about the law? Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 19. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. See, our freedom in Christ is not a license for us to sin. And it's not about the quantity of our righteousness. It is about the quality of our righteousness. It's not the number of religious acts that we do or the immoral things that we don't do. It's about where our hearts are, whether our spirits are in line with His. And religious people are good at adding religious things on top of religious things. But Jesus is more. More than enough. Nothing needs to be added. He is perfect. And we've been given perfect boundaries to live within true freedom. To experience freedom without boundaries is indulgence. Right? And to experience freedom with too many boundaries would be legalism. And Jesus gives us true freedom. We are like the house of Israel in the prophet of Jeremiah's time. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The law in our hearts is not about going buck wild, right? It's about true freedom to exercise love to the unlovable, to exercise self-control in uncontrollable circumstances, and to be able to live in accordance to God's word when everything within me wants to act out of my flesh, wants to act out of sinful nature. Now what happens if you fail to understand Christian freedom? It's bad news. It's really disastrous. Because you can swing really far and indulge your flesh misinterpreting what freedom is. I don't know anyone in a good spot that's gone that far. Not one. We'll take a look at this next time that we're together and the list of those things starting in verse 19 where Christians who fail to understand freedom, justly participate in that list of things, and what happens to them? What else happens? Verse 15, But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. It's just total chaos. Disorder. Unruliness. The picture here, it's just like a pack of wild animals going nuts, cannibalizing one another. Right? Failure to understand Christian freedom, it equals to disaster, chaos, destruction. And we're talking about Christians here. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about Christians. This is us. Christians who are infighting and confused about their freedom in Jesus. And it's just a really ugly thing. Right? When churches are too far on this religious legalism thing, it is ugly. When churches are just like, hey, do whatever you want. It's all love. It's all freedom. It's disastrous. You want to know how to be a true believer in Jesus, who is truly free in Jesus? You live in, within God's boundaries. You exercise self-control. And through love, we serve one another. And it plays a part in fulfilling the whole law and how we are obedient to the law. That it's not an external act in addition to our salvation, but what it is, it is an evidence of our love, what's in our heart for the creator of that law. 
You want to know how to be truly free in Jesus? Jesus summed it up here in John chapter 8, starting in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would help us, encourage us, support us in abiding in your word. So that we may know the truth and that the truth can set us free. That it will set us free. And Lord, I pray for hardened hearts. Because I sense those here. Those hardened hearts, Lord, that are not allowing the truth of your word to penetrate into them. Lord, would you soften them? Would you open their minds? Would you help them to see the freedom that they will have in you if they would only believe? if they would only trust. God, forgive us of our arrogance. Forgive us that we think that we know everything. Help us to live in humility, in submission, in obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen.